Is that the house on your left? Oh. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, welcome back to Midwest Madness True Crime Cult Conspiracy Cryptid Podcast. Did we say that in the last No, one? we didn't. And I don't think we said our names either, but I'm Emily. Oh, <laughs> Danielle. I told a story last week about Bigfoot. Yeah, so if you heard that one and that was your first one, that, that was, was Emily. Me. <laughs> your girl. That's what happens when we have A, updates, and B, have we to start do over. It twice. Yeah. So, um, cool. Well, we don't have any updates for no this one Ooh, because sorry. we did all of our updates literally a half hour ago for us. Yeah, it was a week ago for you guys. So, um, I mean, something else could have happened, but we'll but talk we about won't it next time. Yeah, we won't know that until next time. Okay. Well. All right. So I decided to do a couple of disasters um so cheery yeah the holiday season <laughs> well and one of them is literally because of the holiday season oh that's why i wanted to cover it this one at this time um and i was afraid that you were going to eventually cover them because that keeps happening where i have things on my list and then you're like oh i'm gonna tell about this one and i'm like damn it yeah <laughs> off my list it goes <laughs> which is fine i don't i don't care because like well, maybe you're about to do what I was going to do. Maybe. So um, I'm doing two different stories, actually, because neither of them are like, I mean, they're long enough, but I just wanted to combine the two. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing two Chicago shipwrecks. Okay. No. Mm-mm. Okay. Good. But I mine, I was going to do for a mini. So when you said they were short, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. They're, I mean, perfect. they're shorter. They're not. There are definitely podcast episodes that are longer than ours about them. Um, and actually I, I listened to both of them, so, uh, I will cite those at the end, but, um, the first one I would like to talk about is the SS Eastland. I don't know if you've heard. I haven't heard of any Chicago shipwrecks. Okay. So the SS Eastland, which I'm just going to start calling the Eastland because the SS Eastland is clearly kind of difficult to say, um, was built in 1902. And its first sailing season was in 1903. And um, as you know, ships are often she's. So I will also be calling it she. Okay. Um, so the the first, like I said, the first season that she was sailing was in 1903. And um, problems started pretty quick with the Eastland. Um, July 27th, 1903... Uh, the ship struck a laid-up tugboat called the George W. Gardner and actually sank the tugboat. Oops. Um, Whose fault was that? It was definitely the Eastland's fault because it, that's like hitting a parked car. Did the, did the captain get fired, I hope? Uh, n- I don't think so, actually. <laughs> They're like, cool, cool, cool. You just keep on going. Um, And so... The George W. Gardner sank at the Lake Street Bridge dock in Chicago, while the Eastland only received minimal damage. Of course. So that's like, it's like a semi hitting a truck. Yeah. Or a car. Car. Um, You know, the car is going to take a lot more damage than that semi is going to. Right. Just ask Allie. Um, so then August 1903, there was a mutiny on board the SS Eastland 
when some firemen who are not like the fire truck, like wee woo firemen, but they're like the people that would stoke the fire oh, to okay. keep the ship running. Right. Um, they refused to continue. Two of them refused to continue to work because they did not get their potatoes with their meal. I mean, give the men their potatoes. Right. So, um, the two of them and four other firemen were arrested at gunpoint by the captain, Captain John Peru, P-E-R-E-U-E, Peru, whatever. Yeah. And when they reached shore, they were immediately taken to jail and charged with mutiny. Um, and then Captain Pru was replaced shortly oh, thereafter. So the potatoes is what did him in. The mutiny is what did him in. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, so then after this first season, which was 1903, the Eastland underwent... That was the first season. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that happened within two months of each other. That's funny. So... Both those things probably contributed to why the captain was let go. Um, So after that first season, the Eastland underwent some modifications um, because it wasn't reaching the speeds that they they wanted it to, which was 22 miles per hour. And it's draft, which is basically like how big the hull is. Do you know what the hull is? Hull? Hull, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's basically like the draft is how tall that is from the deck all the way down to the bottom. Okay. Um, I had to do a little deep dive into some ship terms because I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't use port or what's the other one? Starboard mm-hmm. or any of that kind of stuff because like it just gets really confusing. But um, so anyways, the draft was too deep for the Blake River in Michigan, and that's where the Eastland was often docked and loaded with cargo. So the modifications of the Eastland made it less stable when loading not only cargo, but also passengers. Um, okay. So like basically everything it's supposed to do. Yeah. So... Um, uh, July 1904, which is second season, middle of the year, um, the Eastland almost capsized for the first time. The first time. The first time. With 3,000 passengers on board. So her capacity was lowered to 2,800 people. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, right? That's what I thought. I was like, ooh, 200 less. Yeah. Whoa. So, um, during this event, she suffered some damage to her hull, which was repaired. Some cabins were removed from the internal part of the ship and, um, the smokestacks were shortened. So the, the smokestacks were still at the original height that they were when Um, the hull um, was as big as it used to be. Gotcha. So that was also contributing to some of that wiggle issue. Right. Um, so they're kind of hoping hoping that would fix that. I'm going to guess it probably didn't. So now we're going to jump ahead to July 24th of 1915. Ooh, 15. So. 12. Uh, 13. Nine years. Nine years. Nine years later. Yeah. Um, she was sold several times over like in that nine year period. Um, and then other modifications were were made during that time too, such as like the rest of the cabins. There was like thirty six cabins left after the first one, the first modification. Okay, those were all removed. 
So it was turned into a, almost more of a ferry type boat. Okay. Um, what was it going to be used for? Just like carting things around and like it wasn't going really long distances. That's for sure. Okay. So it wasn't like an overnight ship or anything. It was just more like a day trip kind gotcha. of ship. Um, and then also they um, added some lifeboats, which was good. Good life choice. There weren't before. Um, I mean, there. Were, oh, there probably were some. Yeah, they there just were added some. More. They just didn't have enough. Enough. Okay, yep. I got you. Um, and then the smokestacks were also shortened. What was that? Siri sneezed. Oh, a weird sneeze. Um, and then, so July twenty fourth, nineteen fifteen. The Eastland and four other passenger steamers, the Theodore Roosevelt, the P- Petoskey, the Racine, and the Rochester, were chartered by the Western Electric Company for their company picnic. Oh, no. So now, note, this is after the Titanic, so they do have enough lifeboats on, but since they have now more lifeboats, they have not changed the capacity um actually no they did sorry but they didn't change it enough um they changed it to 2,572 okay so adding those lifeboats to the hull made the ship more top heavy which is what they were trying to avoid doing by removing the height of the smokestacks right so seems like a lot of miscommunication going on yes so um on the morning of july 24th passengers started boarding at 6 30 a.m and by 7 10 the eastland was already at that capacity of 2572 passengers could you just imagine your lack of getting this boat out of the other ones right that they commissioned right um the ship was packed with many people standing on the decks even though it was kind of a cooler damp morning so like the inside was all full and so people were just kind of like well i guess we're gonna be out on the deck yeah and like i said this didn't have any like um cabins anymore it was pretty much open there there was some furniture underneath like tables and um one of my sources even said like a piano and like bookshelves and stuff okay for like entertainment i'm assuming yeah um so the eastland started to tip away from the shore just slightly so the crew attempted to stabilize the ship. By and they were adding, like, everyone run to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> no, they added a water to what's called a ballast tank. Do you know what a ballast tank is? I can kind of like guess. So in case our listeners don't know, a ballast tank is basically like underneath the ship. They have two tanks split in half. So it's like one half is one side for one side and yeah. for the port. And the other side is for the starboard. And so... If the ship starts to list in one direction or tilt in one direction too much, you can fill water into the other side to help kind of like even things out. So they started to do that to try and like lean it back to even. Yeah. Um, Passengers could feel that the ship was listing. So over the next 15 minutes, they'd been moving steadily towards the shore side of the ship which was the side that was higher because like obviously self-preservation says yeah well i would away from the side that is towards the water yeah um 
And so at 7.28 a.m., the Eastland suddenly lurched towards the shore and then completely tipped onto her side before stopping on the river bottom, which was about 20 feet deep. And that meant that less than half of the ship was underwater. Okay, I was going to ask. But since it was a cooler morning, most people were inside the ship. And they couldn't get out? And this trapped them in there. Because if you think about it, like, yes, there are windows on the other side, but now those are on your ceiling. And how do you get to that? Oh, but what about like swimming out a door? It's flat against the bottom of the river. There's no door? Like, you can't get out the door if it's flat against the bottom. But, okay. (laughs) I don't understand. Like, (laughs) so like. I mean, I'm assuming they probably tried going out a door at some point. Yeah. And and then you also have to remember that this is 1915. So women's fashion was incredibly heavy. Yeah. And this was a family company picnic. So there are women and children along with their husbands and sons and bother, you know, whoever is bringing them. So like if it was just men that might have been one thing but you've got crazy hoop skirts and whatnot you know like yeah and you know not everybody even now knows how to swim i get you so So, um what happened um it's not great they so they were they were still in the river they were in a river yes they were in a river um or yeah that's what it said in my source it was a river um so then since so many people were trapped underneath a lot of them were also crushed by the heavy furniture that was in the bottom such as that random piano the bookcase the tables things like that um since the ship was still in port response time was quick um a ship called the kenosha moved in next to the eastland um to allow people to jump from the Eastland over to her deck, uh, the Kenosha's deck, saving, you know, a lot of lives in, in that way. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, 844 passengers and four crew ended up dying in the disaster. Jesus. Like I said, many of them were families as this was a, a family outing. So, yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. Yeah. But, I mean, out of over 2000 like that still is like two almost 2000 survived that's still which still is not i mean that's still super tragic and a crap ton of people but that's a lot of people yeah um there was a lot of public outrage from this disaster causing a grand jury to indict the president of the company and three other officers for manslaughter And the ship's captain and engineer for criminal carelessness. Um, They found that the disaster was caused by, quote, conditions of instability, end quote, caused by any or all of overloading. Okay, sorry. This is kind of confusing, but okay. So it was caused by overloading the passengers, mishandling the water ballast or the construction of the ship. So it could have been any One, of those things or, or all, all of, of those them. things. Kay. Yeah. And just how I wrote it was really confusing. So my bad. Well, that's sad. Yeah. Um, one eyewitness was a reporter named Jack Woodford, and he wrote, quote, 
And then movement caught my eye. I looked across the river as I watched in disoriented stupefaction, a large, a steamer large as an ocean liner slowly turned over on its side as though it were a whale going to take a nap. I didn't believe a huge steamer had done this before my eyes, lashed to a dock. In perfectly calm water, in excellent weather, with no explosion, no fire, nothing. Yeah, that's crazy. I thought I had gone crazy, end quote. So, which I, I just love Could you how imagine if they would have gotten going, you know? What? Could you imagine if they would have got going? Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, honestly, this was as tragic and terrible as it is. This was the best place for this disaster to happen. Yeah. Because, like, the ship... It sounds like that ship would have just kept going if it didn't hit the bottom. Yeah, all the way. Yeah, it yeah. would have just barrel rolled. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, And then a poet named Carl Sandberg also wrote a poem called The Eastland. Um, I was going to look it up and read it, but then that felt like a lot. So You can post it. Yeah, I'll find it and post it. Um, And then last fun fact about this one, which was not fun at all. Um, Marion Elkhotz, Elchhotz, Holtz, Elchholtz, I think that's Elchholtz, whatever, um, was the last living survivor of the Eastland disaster. She just she died on November 24th of 2014 at the age of 102. Good for her. Yeah, I don't, I could have do the math and see how old she was when. Yeah, that's fine. The disaster happened, but I didn't because I think it was. 1915 so she would have been like a year old right don't ask me you know how bad i am at 14 math. if it's 1915 and she died in 19 and 2014 at 102 that would tell me she was like one or two or three yeah yeah so she was a tiny little baby probably doesn't even remember no probably not but still crazy um, okay, so my second one that I did was the Rouse Simmons. And this one has Christmas connections. We so, talked about this one already. We did? The Rouse Simmons? The whole story? I, uh, I believe so. But you can go. Oh. Or yeah. maybe... um, The Christmas tree show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I talked shit. about it in my Great Lakes episode. Damn it. I was scared that was going to happen. I mean, I didn't really talk about it in detail. Yeah, I'll go into detail on it. So, because, like, that's, I mean, I have a lot of notes. Yeah. I have, like, f- over 500 words of this one. So, we'll go real deep into this one rather than just, like, a, a blurb. Yeah. So, if you want the blurb version. <laughs> go to the Great Lakes episode. Yes. Damn it. Back I was in. so scared this was going to happen, and I was going to look it up, and I didn't. Um. Okay, so the Rao Simmons was built in 1868 and sold to Charles H. Hackley, who was a wealthy lumberman. Yep. The And I'm going to just probably just call this one the Simmons. Because um, there was like a sister ship too, right? I, I didn't see anything about a sister ship. No. Um, but the Simmons would eventually be making weekly runs between Grand Haven and Chicago, which is about 108 miles. So round trip, you know, that's two, over 200 miles a week. And that's a lot for any vehicle goodness gracious i'm fine it's fine (laughs) um and then in 1910 herman schooneman 
bought a share in the ship and it became known as the Christmas tree ship. Herman and his brother August were known as Christmas tree sellers in Chicago. Many companies also sold trees, but August and Herman were the only company that would bring the trees directly to port without using a middleman. Okay. So this allowed them to sell the ships or the trees for much cheaper while still making a profit. Good. Good so, for them. Yeah. So um, their slogan, which I think is super cute, was the Christmas tree ship. My prices are the lowest. And they decorated the ship with Christmas lights and a tree on the main mast. Fun. Isn't that super cute? Yeah. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot. Roughly, how much did you pay for your beautiful live Christmas tree? $68. (laughs) Their trees were sold between 50 cents and a dollar. (laughs) Damn. I got gyps. You got screwed. It's kind of wonky. but Your tree is very cute, though. It is. It's very cute and small. I love it. It's... would not call that small i think that looks perfect for the size of your house we should post a picture of your tree now okay (laughs) i'll let you pick the angle all right um and then herman who is often called captain santa which is adorable this is fun i like this had a habit of giving away trees to needy families oh that's so nice so where would they get the trees do you know um i think it was somewhere like in, in michigan, michigan and then they would bring yeah. them over to chicago yeah okay that, at least that's what it, it sounded like um around thompson harbor because in november of 1912 herman loaded the simmons with 5500 trees from thompson harbor michigan and began the week long trip back to chicago could you imagine cutting all those trees down especially back then they probably didn't have chainsaws we don't even cut our trees down no we don't (laughs) we have the young men do it yes we wave for the men and we say excuse me sir can you cut this tree cut this tree down for us (laughs) to be fair though we do tie it to the roof and then take it off the roof we do everything else yeah we just don't cut the tree down because they have a chainsaw why would we use a handsaw if they have a chainsaw yeah anyways um he was his ship the the Simmons was one of the only ships making the trip um at that time because of rough weather. Um the rest of his competitors had decided to wait for better weather, so um Herman was hoping for a good turnout and to make quite the profit. Ugh. Just I, one decision, you know. Yeah, and I I don't know how much of this story you know because you did a little research, so you'll have to let me know if you actually like learn stuff from this. Okay. So, um, 1912 had been a pretty rough year for the Great Lakes weather-wise, but so far November had been relatively quiet. Um, Although some reports do say that there were sailors that refused to board the ship because the Simmons was unseaworthy due to age, weather, and the amount of weight on the ship because of the number of trees. Um, one account said that um, the trees were literally so packed onto this that there was not an open space on the ship that you could fit a tree. <sighs> so the ship left port at noon, um, but met with disaster that night with storms arising and hitting the ship. Two sailors were sent out to check on the lashings on deck, but both men, along with several trees and a small boat, were swept overboard by a massive wave. How do you think they chose? Like, did they draw sticks? Like, I don't all know. right, who's going out? I don't Shortest know. Shortest it goes. I've, 
in my opinion, I, I feel like they would just be like, okay, who's right here? All right, Gary and Tim, go. You I feel know? like it's the lowest man on the totem pole. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I don't think it's going to be the captain, but, you know, it's going to be, I think it's just going to be whoever is available. Um, Poor Gary and Tim. <laughs> I don't think, I think I do have their names, but oh. I, I, I'll get to it later. Okay. I don't want to sit and, and look. You're fine. Um, so... One of the biggest issues that was happening because it was bad weather. And as you know, as a Midwesterner, it gets cold in in the winter. Yeah. And it was raining. Yeah. And what happens to water? Freezes. Uh-huh. So it was freezing on the trees. Oh. And it was making the trees even heavier. Oh. So that was part of the issue. So were these trees not underneath no they were everywhere they were literally on every inch of the ship that they could fit them okay i mean it's five thousand five hundred trees i know this seems a little greedy it seems very excessive um i did read that he herman might have been having some money issues so he was kind of desperate yeah which was why he was like okay i'm just gonna make we're gonna make this run we're gonna pack the ship we're gonna make a good profit we're gonna you know yeah so he might have been a little bit desperate and that might have been kind of clouding the judgment that's so sad i know um, so then on November 23rd, which is the next morning, uh, the Ki Anui, Ki Anui, K-E-W-A-U-N-E-E, Life Saving Station spotted the Rao Simmons. Um, they reported that it was riding low in the water, flying its flag at half mast. And so what flying a flag half mast means is that your ship is is in danger. Like it's in distress. So um, unfortunately, this life saving station, which I'm not going to try and struggle through again, um, their rescue boat had gone out already because this was not the only maritime disaster um, of that day of the day. Well, I guess the weather is bad. Yeah, I think there were like three or four other ships that. That went down. Damn. Um, I'm not 100% sure on that, though. Um, I could look, but I don't want to. You're fine. Um, so they call the next nearest rescue station the George E. Sog of Two Rivers. And the George E. sends their tugboat or their rescue boat, the Tuscarora. It looks like. Tucson, but it's T-U-S-C-A-R-O-R-A, Rora, <laughs> um, out to save the Simmons. But when it arrived, the ship was gone. Oh. Eventually, a message in the bottle, a message in a bottle appeared on shore, and it was corked with um, a piece of pine and then, like, some sap. So it, they knew it came from the Simmons. And also inside the uh, bottle... The message said Friday, quote, Friday, dot, dot, dot. Everybody, goodbye. I guess we are all through. During the night, the small boat washed overboard, leaking bad. Invalid and Steve lost too. God help us, end quote. Jesus, that's so sad. Isn't that so sad? Because they see the tragedy coming and there's literally nothing nothing they can do. God, the helplessness. I know. Doesn't that just, like, break your heart? Yeah. So, in 1924, 12 years after the wreck, 
Herman's wallet was recovered by a fisherman. Because they didn't find the ship, right? No, not yet. Um, it was wrapped in oil, oil skin, so the wallet and its contents survived the water for 12 years, which Damn. is crazy. Yeah. Um, inside were business cards, a newspaper clipping, and an expense memorandum. And so I looked up what an expense memorandum was because I was like, that I've never heard that word, memorandum with expense. And so what I found, it said an expense memorandum is a posting type used to record anticipated expenditure and other charges which cannot be recovered as true disimbursements. So, for example, the cost of photocopying, the cost of printing documents, travel expenses. So, like, non-tangible things. Okay. Um, in 1971, scuba diver Gordon Kent Bell Richard from Milwaukee found the Simmons while searching for the Vernon, a 177-foot, 700-ton steamer that had stunk, sunk in a storm in October of 1887. And the reason he was even looking in this area for the Vernon was because local fishermen said that their stuff was often caught on something. Mm-hmm. And so they knew something was there. They just didn't know what it was. Yeah. So he dives down 172 feet below the surface and finds the ship. And when they searched it, it looked like the Simmons had basically just fallen apart. Right. Um, it said that two of the masts had broken off and then it was just kind of like there. And for me, the craziest part was trees were still found in the hole. Yeah, I remember that. Which is so, like, I was like, that's so nuts that they didn't just, like, disintegrate. Yeah. Um, And then, so they pulled two of the trees out to be shown as exhibits. And then several of the items recovered are now being shown at the Rogers Street Fishing Village Museum in Two Rivers. And then they have uh, one of the things they have is the ship's wheel. And then the anchor sits outside of the Milwaukee Yacht Club. Um, And then after Herman's death, his wife Barbara and their two daughters continued to sell Christmas trees. But as trains and highways became more popular, they would haul the trees via train and then sell them on a new Christmas tree ship in the in the port. Oh, gosh, that's so sad. Yeah, right. (sighs) Just like one desperate decision right just to get there first basically yeah and to like try and get out of debt and like provide for their family family. and probably the family of the crew too you know like they probably wouldn't have gotten paid either so yeah it's just tough you know and then just the helplessness of that note like yeah god please help us like throwing that note overboard and being like well hope somebody finds this yeah And for that to be the first thing that's found is just, like, so heartbreaking. Yeah, it's tough. So Merry Christmas, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my sources were uh, Wikipedia, Rouse Simmons, Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast, episode titled The Christmas Tree Ship. I think that's the first place I heard that story. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, and then Wikipedia, Eastland, SS Eastland, and then Stuff You Missed in History Class episode titled the eastland disaster okay and that was also the first place i'd ever heard that because they 
do really, really excellent shipwreck stories. Yeah, they have some good ones. Oh my god, they have so many good ones. There, there's so many episodes on there. Though. I know it's almost I, overwhelming. I used to have listened to all of them, and then they changed up some stuff they did, and I got frustrated, so I stopped listening. Yeah, I stopped listening to them too. But so, their old stuff's really good. Yeah, they're some of their new stuff, like the behind the scenes stuff. I don't, I don't want it on my feed. Yeah. So like put it somewhere else because I don't want to listen to those. Yeah. So I just get really frustrated with that. So anyway, I would still <laughs> super, 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 super recommend stuff you missed in history class, especially if you're a history person like you and I both are. But yeah, they've got some really good ones. Yeah. And I like the host a lot. Me too. They've gone through a lot of hosts though. <laughs> they have. That's true. And they're old. Their very first ones are like literally like 20 minutes long. And then their newer ones are like, almost an hour sometimes are they yeah i didn't yeah I haven't noticed so do you want to do our social oh yeah midwest madness podcast the group on facebook yep. mw madness podcast on instagram and that's our gmail as well yes um cool well we hope you guys have a great week yes and we will see you um next tuesday or yeah next tuesday because we can't do a mini before then no all right okay bye. bye